Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. Help us to wisely do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. How many of you are familiar with Robert Frost's poem, The Road Not Taken? Yes? Um, it's very intimidating because I have an English professor in the room at the moment, so I know she knows all about this. Um, but, but I recently have come to the conclusion that we don't have the whole story about this, this poem because we hear it, right? And we fall in love with this idea that, that we're going to take that road less traveled, that there is great passion and adventure out, out there. But did you ever notice that Frost never reports back what that difference is? You know, he took the road less traveled, and that made all the difference, but we don't know what that difference was. And that kind of bothers me because what happens if I take the road less traveled and um, I take this road and I get bit by a poisonous snake and attacked by a mountain lion and sink into a swamp? It's the road less traveled and it did make a difference. The, op the other option is that I take the road less traveled and it turns out well and, and instead of going into the family business, first one in the, first one in the family to go into the military, learn how to fly planes, travel the whole world, end up saving thousands of lives. It's a different choice. And just because it's a different choice doesn't necessarily make it a good choice or a bad choice. It just means that it's different. However, when it comes to how we live out our lives as people of faith and as followers of Christ, the Bible gives us ways to consider how we're going to pursue our faith on a daily basis because your faith is a journey and there are going to be times in your faith life when you're going to find yourself at a crossroads and having to decide what is going to be that next step. And the prophet Jeremiah writes, Thus says the Lord, Stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way lies and walk in it and find rest for your souls. Jeremiah is talking with this whole nation of people that's just out there doing their own thing. Can you picture that? Can you picture a whole nation of people? Everybody's just out there doing their own thing. In fact, many of them, they weren't asking anything. We're not even looking for a path. We're just doing what we feel like. You do you and I'll do me and we'll just all do our own thing. And many of them had turned away from God and they had moved on to idols. And, and the most interesting part about this is at first it wasn't defiant. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, I see this choice and I'm going to turn away from this choice. No, it was, it was a gradual slide. I, I was going to worship the Lord, but, you know, it's really sunny and the beach seems really nice today. And then next week there's a concert and I have to leave at a certain time. And, and then the following week we, we partied really hard on a Saturday night and it's just so tired on a Sunday morning. It's very gradual slide, not, not intentional. They also had some people following God who would do it as long as it was convenient and, and on their terms. There was this unshakable confidence among the people of Judah that while the northern kingdom had fallen to the Assyrians, they came out unscathed. So they must be in good shape because they made it this far. They didn't seem to notice that the Babylonian empire was on the rise. They felt pretty untouchable. Can you picture that? Can you picture a nation that is so confident in itself that they feel 
untouchable. And they felt that their greed and corruption was not such a big deal because they were still standing. Nothing had happened yet. So they hadn't experienced what it was going to be like to fully live life apart from God. And unfortunately for them, they learned a little bit too late. Jeremiah expresses to them that, that they're at a crossroads. They're at a decision point, which can be a really important place to be. The focus at a crossroads is not necessarily about where you've been and how you got there. It's about where you're going next and the path that you're going to choose to get to that place. So while Jeremiah is profoundly disappointed in where the people of Judah currently are, he is offering them an opportunity to go in a different direction. His word is that they should ask for the ancient paths. Ask. Because that's where the good way lies, he says. And then go walk in it. Have you ever met people that ask for directions but then don't follow them? Jeremiah says, no, no, no. Once you ask, you start walking in it. And that's where you're going to find rest for your souls. The craziest thing, the next line is, but they say, we will not walk in it. That's it. That's it. We, we, we heard what you said. We don't care. We're not going to do it. There's this arrogant defiance that suggests that the people know better than God. They aren't even willing to consider asking for guidance. It's always interesting to read books about hikers or mountain climbers, people, people that we always see as adventure seekers. And one of the most fascinating people for me is a guy named Alex Hanold. Alex is a 33-year-old rock climber, and he is the subject of a documentary film that National Geographic did called Free Solo. Just won the Academy Award this year. Hanold climbs mountains without ropes. Just him and the mountain. So you understand that he makes one mistake, and he dies. He dies. He is the first person to ever climb El Capitan, at Yosemite National Park. When you watch this documentary, you discover that while Alex does things that have never been done before, he looks for the ancient paths in order to be able to do them. See, because before he does a free solo, he studies these mountains. I mean, he studies them to an insane degree. You watch this documentary, and, and he's spending 20 minutes talking about one tiny little crevice, how wide it is, how long it is, how if he chooses this, he's going to have to give up this, and how his foothold has to be a certain way. It is this, it, it, you'd never think that 20 minutes on a tiny little crevice could be so fascinating, but this is who Alex is, and this is how he has to do it before he can get up there and do a free solo. He runs the path with ropes first, first, because he wants to be able to see where the natural paths lie, where all of the different turns are going to be, where his foot is going to have to go at every step. He has pages and pages and pages of notes on how to do this. So I want to make it clear that he doesn't just randomly wake up one morning and decide, oh, I think I'll climb El Capitan today. He is always considering the best path forward, and he has discovered that that best path comes from ancient paths that the world has made itself in its development. Towards the end of the documentary, one of the filmmakers was talking about the angst he felt of watching Alex climb. 
El Capitan. And he said that is commensurate with one's level of humility. Now, here's the thing. When he climbed El Capitan, there was this film crew all around him. There were at least seven different camera angles. And all of these people are watching this guy climb up the face of this mountain. You understand that if he falls, he dies. And they're filming it. They are filming it. So the director says that your ability to watch him do this and the angst that you have over it is commensurate with one's level of humility. And he talked about how people who know just a little bit, just a tiny little bit about rock climbing, they look at what Alex does and they think, I can do that. I can do that too. But then there's people who know a lot about rock climbing. And they look at what Alex does and they say, I should not be doing this at all. That's all of us, by the way. During the Winter Olympics, downhill skiing, we all watch and we're like, I could totally do that. Totally do that. It looks so easy. We should all do it. Hanol teaches us that it is possible to do new things as long as we have the humility to use ancient paths. And this is where recreational hikers and mountain climbers end up dying because they think that, that they're going to go off on this new path, that, that somehow they have this, this skill set, this knowledge, this ability that no one before them ever in the history of the world has ever had. And, and despite all of the signs and the warnings that say, do not come this way, they have an arrogance about themselves that says, you know what? That doesn't apply to me. I'm going to do my own thing. And you know what ends up happening? We all go by on the ancient paths and we see their grave markers on the sides of the road. For the people of Judah, they are just hell-bent on doing it their own way. They have been given warning sign after warning sign, and they do not care. Jeremiah says, I raised up sentinels for you. Give heed to the sound of the trumpet. Oftentimes we say, I want a sign. There's your sign. It's a trumpet. But, Scripture says, they said, we will not give heed. We do not care. This isn't just ignoring God. This is defiantly hearing the voice of God and saying as loud as you possibly can, no, no, I am not going to do this. Therefore, hear, O nations, and know, O congregation, what will happen to them. Hear, O earth, I am going to bring disaster on this people, the fruit of their schemes, because they have not given heed to my words. And as for my teaching, they have rejected it. Of what use to me is frankincense that comes from Sheba or sweet cane that comes from a distant land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable. Your sacrifices are not pleasing to me. So what's happening here is that God's laying out this path to relationship. He has given the people direction and instruction, things like the Ten Commandments, and the people respond by saying, yeah, you know, we hear you, but we've got something better instead. So God responds by saying, but what use do I have for your frankincense that comes from Sheba? I don't, I don't want that. I would love for you to stop sleeping with your neighbor's wife, however. That would be something good that you could do, but I don't need the frankincense. I don't have use for your sweet cane, says the Lord. What I want is to be the center of your life and your heart. I'm not interested in your burnt offerings or your sacrifices 
What I want is I want to come before your television shows, your sports, your social gatherings. That's, that's what I want. All the rest of this is useless if you're just doing it to make yourself feel better for not doing any of the things that I asked of you. Think of it this way. We're all in the midst of, of school supply season, right? And the teachers, they come out with the school supply list and... and um, my youngest, she's, in, she's going into second grade, and, and we get this, this thing on the list that says, two-pronged plastic folder with, um, that has to be purple. It has to be purple. And you go into the store, and there's 8,000 other colors, but guess what? Not purple, right? But it says purple. It has to be purple. We have to find two of them. They are on the black market on Amazon. Somebody knew this, and, and they did it. But these teachers, they, they ask for lists, and they ask for good reason, because these are things that they, that they need in their classroom to make the year go. But let's say that you get that list, you look at it, and, and one of the things that every teacher puts on their list is expo markers. Expo markers. That's what they want. But you look at it, and you're like, oh, you know, second grade. What they really need here are graphing calculators. And, and those graphing calculators are expensive. They're like 80 bucks a pop, but, but you're feeling generous. So you go out and you get this second grade teacher 500 high school level graphing calculators and you proudly walk into the school and you just, you just give them to this second grade teacher who is thinking, these kids don't even know what a calculator is. But you didn't get them the expo markers, which they needed, which they wanted, which they asked of you but yet somehow you feel better because you did something that totally wasn't in the realm of, of helpful, necessary, wanted, requested, asked, totally useless. When we do that, when we do that kind of thing, the impact isn't just on God and, and, and how we are in our relationship with God. It's about us too because when we choose to avoid ancient paths, that are good, and they lead to these places of rest for our souls. When we avoid them, we suffer the consequences. Therefore, thus says the Lord, see, I am laying before this people stumbling blocks against which they shall stumble. Parents and children together, neighbor and friend, will perish. Earlier this year, a group of us from Kirkwood went up to the St. Leo Abbey, which is the home of a group of Benedictine monks. And during the day, we got to spend some time with them. We got to tour the abbey. Well, the Benedictine believe that you stay with the same brotherhood for life. So it's not just that you stay Benedictine your whole life. You stay with the same abbey your whole life. You do not transfer out to another brotherhood across town in a different country, you stay in that same cloistered community for life. And at first thought, I thought, oh, this is awful. That's awful. Who wants to do that? Who wants to be in such a tiny little space with the same people every day for the rest of your life? I have far too much wanderlust to be okay with this idea. But then... But then, the strangest thing happened. You watch these monks throughout the day. You, you watch them as they were directing traffic, as people were coming in. You watch them at worship time. You watch them at lunchtime. They were happy. 
they were smiling, they were laughing, they were joking, and there was this one young monk there, he was about 26 years old, and I said, really, you're gonna do this for life? And he goes, this is wonderful. This is, this is wonderful. And then we talked to one of the monks who'd been at St. Leo's for over five decades, and he talked about how there's this holy rhythm of life that at first blush seems really simplistic to the rest of us, but is actually profound in terms of, of what it's meant for his faith as he studies the scriptures and he spends time in intentional prayer and he worships daily. And, and this was a big one, how he invested in that community, in those particular people. And, and he was talking at one point about how, you know, when you, anytime you move into a community, you're gonna run into somebody that you do not mesh with. And, and he said, when you commit to life, you better figure out a way to make that work. And so he has come to this place of, of incredible peace that has come through some well-worn ancient paths. And then I thought about that in contrast to my life and what it's like every time that our family has moved. You go to a new place, a new city, new people, which is fun and exciting and wonderful and has lots of opportunities with it, but it is also really draining. If you have ever had to move, you know what a pain it is to pack up all your stuff, realize how much stuff you have, and then try to coordinate movers and delivery and, and make sure that the electricity is on. And this mobile society that, that we live in today, this is a fairly recent occurrence. For the span of human history, most of our ancestors did not have the abilities that we have to just up and move clear across the country or the world at least not at the speed and frequency that we do it today. And there's a price to be paid for that. We are far less in touch with grace than we have the potential to be. You don't like something? Move. No need to work it out. No need to reconcile relationships. You just get in your car, you get on a plane, you, you leave. That's very different than the Benedictine way of life of staying committed to a brotherhood for a lifetime. Now, I want to be clear, I'm not suggesting that all of us leave here and go join a monastery, but I do want us to see that there is some value in these ancient ways, and just because they're ancient does not mean they are not good and healthy and helpful for us. Sometimes, most of us don't even realize that we're standing at a crossroads because we're just going, we're just going through life. We're just doing our own thing, just like the people of Judah. But yet there's these times when we feel hurried and worried and pressured, and we can't seem to put our finger on why. Rest for our souls is something that we long for, but if we're honest, most of us just laugh it off and we say, oh, you know, we'll get around to it when the kids are grown, when we retire, when we go on vacation. And Jeremiah invites us to ask for the ancient paths and then actually walk in them. And, and what that looks like, that looks like an intentionality in prayer. So if you're new to prayer and, and you're all worried about your words and what you're going to say, just put in a little time each day and pray through the Psalms until you have your own words. Give God some space in your life. Have you ever been in the grocery store, you see somebody pushing the cart down the aisle, seems like they're talking to themselves. They're having a really intense conversation with themselves. And you get closer and you realize they have one of those little earbuds in their ears. 
That's how busy their life is that they can't even go to the grocery store without constantly talking to somebody. If your life is going that fast, you haven't made time for God. You're not giving God a chance to speak into your life because you're so busy with everything else, you can't hear him. So you've got to give God some space to speak in your life. You're also invited to invest in your church family. Man, people can be so hard to deal with. And as soon as you get more than one person in a room, the chances for conflict and disagreement rise exponentially. So the challenge then for the church, the ancient ways of the church, is that you find ways to be in relationship even when it's hard. You stick it out and you give and you receive grace. Because if you walk away from the faith family every time something doesn't go the way that you want, you're going to spend your whole life walking and walking and walking away. You will not find that rest for your soul. So the challenge to us then is to be more than Sunday acquaintances. That we need to seek out ways to do life together. Finally, we stay in the word. We, we learn what God has to say about forgiveness and redemption and sin and love. Even if you've been in the church your whole life, go ahead and carve out five minutes, five minutes of your day where you can read a chapter of the Bible and be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to speak into your life that day. None of these things, none of them are groundbreaking and new. Nobody's going to write a book about how to do all of these old things. These are practices that date back even, to the er even earlier than the formation of the ancient church itself. But they are proven for centuries to provide rest for weary souls. So you stand at the crossroads, you ask for the ancient paths where the good way lies, and that's where you too will find rest for your souls. Let's pray together. Lord God, we confess that many of us often spend a lot of our lives walking on our own path, doing our own thing, minding our own business. But yet you call us, you call us to ask. Ask for those ancient paths. Look for those ways that you are going to bring wholeness into our lives. To live lives that are full and abundant. And so we pray, Lord, that you would forgive us those times when we have just defiantly said no to you and open us to the ancient paths. In your name we pray. Amen.